you have to be emotionally secure enough to face what feels like a lot of rejection from the market. everybody. This is uh, Devin Miller here with another uh, episode of the Inventive Journey. Um, as, a, as a reminder to all the new listeners, uh, I'm Devin Miller. I am a uh, serial entrepreneur as well as the founder and managing partner of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with patents, trademarks, and copyrights. So um, the Inventive Journey takes us through different uh, journeys of inventors and uh, business people and CEOs and founders and all everybody else that's involved with business and their journey and what they're doing. And we get to hear a little bit about their past. So we have a uh, great guest on today, Laura, and uh, excited to have her on, tell a little bit about her journey and uh, where she's at. So with that, Laura, rather than me uh, give the introduction, I'll let you do that yourself because I'm sure you'll do a much better job than I would. So maybe introduce yourself a little bit and what you're doing. Okay. Well, my name is uh, Laura Gardner. Um, I have been uh, out on my own, either uh, consulting or um, for a brief period of time um, working at a startup. Now I have my own startup. And um, my journey has been a very interesting one. Uh, I started out in life uh, wanting to be a doctor. I did actually become an MD. I practiced uh, women's health for a while, general practice. And uh, then I decided I wanted to have a bigger impact than I was having one patient at a time. So I went into public health. And from there, uh, I got um, persuaded by the head of the department to stay on and get a doctorate in health economics. And since then, I've been doing a lot of healthcare analytics and building up a healthcare uh, suite of, of products that I've invented. Okay, so yeah, so let's dive into it. So you were kind of... You, a lot of good things in there. So you started out uh, with the uh, the healthcare industry and a lot of uh, doing that and becoming a doctor. And what you know, and you mentioned a little bit about, hey, I, you know, I can either make an impact on you know one person at a time and doing that, or I can uh, shift gears a little bit and have a much broader reach or or, or help out more people at for any given time. What made you decide to to make that jump or make that switch? How did you decide, hey, I want to jump over from a doc- being you know women's health and and helping those people out to doing uh, more of the the business side and entrepreneur and, and making more and helping out more people. Well, it really was a function of timing because um, at the time, um, the healthcare industry was just getting used to the uh, introduction of uh, a, a new what was then a new type of payment system called DRGs in the hospital Hmm. and uh, everybody was very concerned about DRGs and what impact they would have and there was a lot of money flowing for research looking at the impact of DRGs and a lot of talk for the for the listening audience what's a DRD or that just so they know that uh, nomenclature so it was a new way of payment hospital paying hospitals based on um, the diagnosis related group. So that's what DRG stands for diagnosis related group. 
Okay. And it involved instead of paying every bill, every $600 aspirin, um, the hospital payments for inpatients, this is, uh, would be lumped into one, one flat fee payment depending on how complex and, and intensive the DRG was. Okay. No, that, that's, that's a good explanation. So kind of with all of that, and, you, and he's jumped into that, and it was a matter of timing. I know one thing we talked a little bit of, uh, previously is um, you also you got into machine learning before machine learning was cooler, before it was kind of the, the fad word or, or the fad, you know, as far as everybody always likes to now say machine learning or AI or anything of that. But, you know, maybe t- touch a little bit on that so as you're kind of, going more into the consulting role and, and getting or moving on or looking to more of helping people out on a larger scale. How did that all mix in with the machine learning? Well, um, when I transitioned from um, general practice into public health and I studied uh, at the uh, School of Public Health at UC Berkeley, hmm. um, Part of the curriculum was learning uh, this relatively new field of um, data exploration and analysis. And at the time it was just called statistical analysis. And what we did was we built models, uh, looked at um, uh, an existing data set to see what it would tell us uh, what it would teach us about what to expect in a, an untested data set. And um, the methods that we used were all statistical analysis uh, options, including linear le- regression, logistic regression, um, forecasting, and you know various other statistical procedures that were not called anything special. They were not called machine learning at the time. Uh, But over the years, uh, people began to see the potential for these models, which were built and run uh, on data. And they began to see that putting the uh, data in the hands of the machine to extract information was turning out to be uh, far more effective and efficient than trying to extrapolate from hand analysis uh, what might be going on. So that's when it started to become machine learning. And what, what I was doing was definitely a part of machine learning, but it wasn't the whole thing. There's a whole uh, side of machine learning that uh, looks at learning from each new record that comes through and that would be more like what we, we would call a neural network mm. uh, where each new case that comes through resets the um, parameters uh, and that that's not what I was doing but I was learning about that and so I feel like I've been in the field since before it was a thing. <laughs> Oh, that's the, hey, you were very forward thinking. Maybe to give, and I think, uh, you know, we touched on it a bit, um, you know, one of the applications are kind of as you're doing what I would call, you know, what we'd call today at least the aspect of machine learning. I think you mentioned 
One was kind of looking at um, employee injury or if somebody got injured and whether or not, you know, what that might cost or how quickly they'd get back to work or some of those things. Maybe give a, a bit of a, an idea or background a little bit more on what was one of the applications when, so you jumped over from women's health, started doing some machine learning, and then you jump, you know, as you applied this, give it maybe a bit of background on that. Well, so I, um, I did some consulting uh, shortly after I left school, and then I uh, was offered a, a very exciting project in the workers' comp field. So I transitioned from the general healthcare sphere that I had been focusing on in grad school, and I started um, building up some expertise in workers' compensation, which is a field of healthcare that takes care of injured workers and also not just delivers the healthcare, but also uh, delivers the wage replacement that they need when they are out of work for an extended period of time. Uh, so I found that a very rewarding uh, area to be in. And I, um, the first project I had was to build an outcomes-based provider network. And by that we meant looking at the uh, um, injured worker, their course of injury, their ultimate outcome, how much was paid to them, and how well they did, and building up uh, a predictive model that could help us decide when the doctor was performing well and when they weren't. That was one project, and it gave me the skills to um, do that kind of work. But the bell didn't ring for several years. Uh, I found myself do, doing that project as well as the, the one you mentioned where I uh, forecasted how expensive an injured worker's claim was going to be. Mm. And both of those things were in pretty high demand among the workers' comp clients that I was meeting. And I was getting a lot of work to do those projects. But I was finding myself dissatisfied with how my work was being utilized in that I would do the project. It would take a month or two months or whatever. And then I would hand the client a report with some uh, graphics that showed um, some combinations of doctors and specialties and injury types and uh, cross-tab tables, basically, that gave information about the data and the results. And I found myself very dissatisfied with what happened to my reports, which is that the client that had requested the project would read the report, maybe circulate it to their team, and then it would get put on the shelf. And nothing would, it be, would ever be done with it because mainly they didn't have the tools to change practice at their, at their place of employment. So while they found my report and my findings very interesting, they didn't know how to put them into practice. And I realized very early on that I was going to have to find a, a, a partner who could help 
develop these um, standalone projects into standalone software products that the clients could then use over and over again to find the high cost claims or find the um, efficient doctors or whatever they were looking for. Find a doctor with a specialty of orthopedics in the Reading area. You know, that's how fine-tuned the uh, my micro analyses on my projects could get with a computerized version. Mm. So that's what I set out to do was to find a partner who could help me do that. So and if continue? I remember then oh yeah so you made then you made a pro or project or product based on that if I remember or kind of our, in our previous conversation that you then licensed out and then you started to generate income and otherwise have a bit more control is that right? That's right. So and tell me so and when and self-biased or that, and I, and I introduced at the beginning, um, patent and trademark attorneys. So what did you license out? Because that's, you know, a lot of times you have uh, companies or businesses that are wanting to get into licensing, or sometimes they really just like the innovation part or the part that you get to create stuff. They don't necessarily always want to take it all the way to market or have to be the business side of it. So how did you get into licensing or how did that work? Or, or give me a bit more of a, give us a bit more idea of how that uh, played out. Okay. Well, I, so I found myself doing uh, these two projects over and over again for different customers. And I was trying to think of a way that I could um, automate the part of developing the data that was similar across all clients rather than me do doing all of that analytic work over and over again when it was essentially the same model, the same analysis, just different data. So um, really what came to mind was something a friend said to me, which was, I, I really wish I could be helping people in my sleep, you know, build something that yeah. would, would continue even when I wasn't involved with it anymore. And um, that really stuck with me. And I started thinking, how can I turn these um, consulting projects into software that would be available to people, whether I was there or not, whether I was uh, updating their product or not. Mm. Uh, so I, I um luckily hooked up with a colleague of mine who was very interested in helping me and had the skills to build a rudimentary but functioning software as a service product for each of my two products. Mm. And so I had help building them into um, uh, SaaS products. But once I had done that, I was then able to uh, license the use of the algorithms and um, what the machine had learned. So what the machine had learned became knowledge that fed back into the customer's database. And that's why it's called machine learning is because there's a feedback loop. And so um, I built these two products and I, 
quickly found customers that were very interested in licensing them, including one of the customers that had done it with me as a consulting project and now was he was very excited to get it as a software product. Hmm. So um, these two Wait. products lived on as uh, rudimentary software products for about five years. Hmm. And then I um, made the acquaintance of a gentleman who was working for uh, a startup that was focused on the hospital sector and they were finding themselves um, very busy with that, but interested in branching out and um, building some products for the workers' compensation market. And he found me through a LinkedIn search and asked me if I would like to be involved in that. And when I told him what I was doing and the two products that I had invented and that I had already um, started licensing them and he got he actually got anxious about that and he said you know it looks like what you're doing is exactly what we want to do and so we're going to end up being competitors so maybe we shouldn't talk anymore hmm. and i thought about that for a day or two and then i called him back and i said look if what i'm doing is so close to what you want to be doing and you folks have a software development team that can do what I need to have done. We should just team up. Hmm. And uh, it was my reaching out and proposing that that really changed my life because uh, he liked the idea. He made me a job offer on the spot to come on board as vice president of products and help them build out my two software products and so that's what I did. I joined their team. Uh, I worked on my two products as VP of products for a while, a couple of years. And then um, his team got spun off from that original company and it became its own company. And I continued to work for them and I got promoted to chief scientist and I was in charge of the data science team that was working on my two products. And it was just very exciting because I felt like I had given birth to these two babies and they were being well taken care of by this company. And I was very happy to be there and be part of it. That, and that's, that's a good way. I mean, it almost seems like, you know, that's almost a common analogy is, hey, it's almost like, birthing and raising a child and, and going through the full process of seeing it from birth all the way to growing up to sometimes old age. Sometimes it doesn't quite make it there, um, but it's always a, a, a lot of analogies with that. So maybe jumping now, because I think that's pretty interesting. So now you did that. You did that for a while with that company. And then correct me if I'm wrong, then you jumped over to what is your current project or your current. So that one, it sounds like you made an exit or, you know, you decided that you, you, that one kind of wrapped up and you decided to go on to your next project of um, what you're doing now. So maybe give me an idea of how you made that transition or made that, that switch to where you're at now. Well, um, after a couple of years of working with that company, um, I felt that I, I again began to feel that um, there were other horizons I wanted to see and, and conquer. Mm -hmm. 
And one of those things that was really calling to me was the desire to start my own a company specializing in machine learning and artificial intelligence analytics. And um, I, I also had a very strong interest in doing something that would um, improve the pharmaceutical sector because I felt that in healthcare, one of the areas that was just not working well for people was the pharmaceutical sector. There were many layers of middlemen, many layers of added cost, mm. many ways that um, patients were being blocked from getting the medicine their doctors had prescribed. So I wanted to do something in the pharmaceutical sector and I wasn't exactly sure what. Uh, so the first thing I did when I um, started my own second company was I hosted an internship for three young people with expertise in market research mm. and it was a paid internship last 10 weeks I had three interns and it turned out to be a very good experience for all of us uh, I had a speaker every week I had reading assignments I had um, weekly goals and uh, they put together a survey, they, uh, they did all their assignments. Um, the internship itself went extremely well, but at the end of it, um, we were all in agreement that the pharmaceutical sector was somewhat impenetrable for a small startup. And so we wanted to carve out a small piece of it that we could manage that wouldn't um, be taking on more than we could chew. And so the idea that we came up with, myself and one of the three interns who uh, stayed around after the internship was over, he and I came up with the idea of um, developing resources for people who are new to this country, who are looking for the medicines that they are accustomed to taking back home in their home country, but they can't find them because they're called different names here. And I'm talking in particular about over-the-counter medications. Mm. So I don't know if you know this, but what we know of as uh, Tylenol, which is the chemical name is acetaminophen. It's not called that in Europe or in India. Huh. Um, the name of the chemical is called paracetamol. And people who come here and want to find something in the drugstore for headache, they're looking and looking and looking for paracetamol and they can't find it because it's not what things are called here. So we decided to come up with a, a, a mobile app um, that would allow people to either put in the name that they were looking for from their home country or choose from a set of 10 or 12 common conditions like headache, joint pain, uh, insomnia, diarrhea, um, skin rash, all kinds of things that people would treat with over-the-counter medication. And so they could put in either the chemical name or the condition that they're trying to treat. And this product 
will bring up all the choices and what they're called in the U.S. and um, uh, a quantification of how similar the U.S. product is to the one that they had input. Oh, that that is really cool. I mean, that I can definitely see what the need would be there. Uh, hey, if I'm coming from, you know, I, and I spent a couple years in uh, Taiwan and, you know, language is completely different. You don't even have a similar alphabet. You don't even have similar spellings or anything. And if you're coming into the country saying, hey, all, all I want is an aspirin or a Tylenol because I have a headache and you don't even know what you're supposed to find at the, you know, the drugstore and compound the interest if your language abilities or you're certain, only still learning English or don't know English or that makes it all the worse. So I can definitely see for those that are coming into the country from, you know, even foreign countries, whether it's English speaking or others, why that would uh, make sense. I do think it's also interesting. So you paid um, interns or you created basically an internship saying, hey, I want to help out in this area of the market or we want to maybe jump into this. And I'd love to come up with some ideas and have some or have some uh, ways to enter into it. So why don't we go and hire a few interns to see what they can come up with? They'll do some market research and they'll and they'll see kind of what ideas they can come up with. And then based on that, you know, we can move forward. And if I remember when we talked to, you know, kind of uh, before the interview, originally you uh, actually talked about how you'd uh, paid some of the interns and they hadn't come up with any good ideas. And it wasn't until a little bit after that they, you know, they kept thinking on it, that the one internship you're working with now, it was, uh, came back and said, here's uh, one idea that I think might work or that, you know, at least a pain point. And that was this kind of just, it's an interesting idea, way of going about figuring out new or new ideas or new uh, comp- businesses for a, di- a given market. Yes. Yes. Um, I was very helpful um, because I was um, tapping into the best and the brightest that I could find who had just completed a course of study in market research, which I have never studied one of the few things I've never studied. <laughs> mm. um, and uh, it was uh, it was unfortunate that the, the trio uh, of interns did not come up with an idea that we could have immediately started working on. But the one who did uh, come back to me a few months later, um, he, he had this very solid idea. So uh, it was not a waste. Well, that's that's cool. That's interesting. Uh, that's interesting. Both that you hired them, and originally you thought, "Oh man, I put all the you know hired the best, best and the brightest type of a thing," and thought for sure they'd come up with a good idea. Then when they didn't, it's I'm sure it's a little bit of a letdown, or at least uh, thinking, "Okay, that you know now what do I do?" But then even more or fortuitous is that they later came back with an idea. Or one of them did that uh, later gen- or created or came, became what is now your company today. So. Uh, fairly, or a very interesting journey. So we're kind of hitting up against um, the, the end of the, the episode. Um, but I want, I always end the episode with a couple, you know, couple questions that I want to ask each, uh, each guest. And so uh, one of them is what is the worst business or decision you made? And the reason is, is you always get to hear the, you know, the highlight reels. But recently I was reading a book it was, um, you know, that will never work. And it was by uh, Mark uh, Randolph, which is one of the co-founders of Netflix. And it did a good job and it went through and you got to hear all kind of the idea, you know, how he came up with the idea, how they actually, you know, brought up and, uh, you know, and, and brought Netflix to what you hear today. Everybody always just sees Netflix. It's all over the place and great success. But that book kind of walked you through 
you know, one of the other co-founders, which is Hastings, which is, you know, the person you always hear for Netflix, told him that, you know, that idea will never work when he originally pitched it off of him. So, it was, you know, it's always interesting to hear not only the highlight reels and the, how everything always works out, but some of the decisions that we wish we had made or that we could change. So with that, what is one decision, what's the worst business decision you ever made? Well, um, that's not a hard choice but because it's really the one thing that I regret in my whole professional life. And that is when I sold the IP to my two product ideas to this company that um, I was very excited about having them build out the products as full-fledged software, software as a service. Um, I made a deal with them that was, you know, mutually favorable, but generally hit the, it hit the high spots on my checklist in terms of uh, a, a job with the company, uh, a decent salary, some equity. And I really thought that was a good enough deal. And what happened was the company that I sold to originally that built a division to, to build my products, about a year and a half later, they spun off that division. And I had, in my negotiations with them, I had totally neglected to take that uh, into account as a possibility, as, as something that might happen. And so when the division was spun off, they put a corporate governance structure into place that did not include me. Uh. And um, my, my worst business decision was not, to not do something about that right away and ensure that I got on as chief analytics officer or mm. at least on the board. Uh, so here was this, this new company, this spinoff, that was running to market with my products and I had no real control over it. And I would do that differently if I had to do that again. Oh, so lesson learned is, is to make sure that uh, when you're forming a partnership or a joint venture or anything of the like, uh, make sure that, uh, that you get the, you get able to make any control or to be part of it. And I think that that's, you know, that's a lesson that I think that a lot of people that you don't, you're always going into a new adventure and you're always excited and you think, oh, this will be a great experience and we're all pulling it together. But you never know which way will things will turn, whether somebody will leave, whether the business will be spun off, whether things will change. And so it's, you know, and this is probably the attorney coming out Maybe you always want to kind of anticipate what was the worst case scenario. And if I can live with that or if I'm okay with that, then anything above that is great. So I think that's certainly a, a good thing for people to hear and understand is, that you want to make sure that the worst case scenario is, hey, I'll still be a part of the company or can or continue to be controlling it or have input into it. And so that you're not, uh, if as things maybe change down the road, that, that doesn't become an issue. So second or last question, if you're having somebody that's wanting to get into a startup, wanting to start a small business, and maybe it's in the medical industry or maybe it's in machine learning or something of that nature, what's uh, one piece of advice you would give them? Take a deep breath. <laughs> um, it's quite a roller coaster ride. It's um, feast and famine. You 
you're up when you have your idea, you're down when you learn how complicated it's going to be to develop it, then you make some progress, you develop something, you get a client, you're up, then you lose two clients who think your your uh, software is not the right fit for them, and it's just something that you have to be, first of all, um, financially secure enough to do to face a period of time with no income coming in. And you have to be emotionally secure enough to face what feels like a lot of rejection from the market until your product actually hits. And so you have to go through some hard times financially and emotionally before things start to click and clients start to spread the word of mouth about your product. And if you have a good product and you have confidence in it, then it's worth going for, for sure. But just be prepared for the ups and downs. I like that. Simple and easy. Take a, be, take a deep breath because it's going to be a good journey. So, well, awesome. Well, with that, um, kind of coming to the end of the episode, and it's been a, a pleasure. I always, every episode I get on, there's about 20 more things I want to talk through and a whole bunch more interesting points that we never quite have time for. But thank you for coming on. And it's been a, a great, uh, great to hear your journey. It's been, it's, it's certainly an interesting one. For those that want to get involved, whether it's, you know, venture capitalists, angel investors, whether it's somebody that's a partnership or just wants to reach out and hear your experience a bit more, what's the best way to get a, or in contact with you or get a hold of you or to, to find out more about uh, your current business? So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I use all the letters that come after my name. So there are other Laura Gardners, but they don't have um, the MD, MPH, PhD, FACPM that comes after my name. So if you look for Laura Gardner with all those letters, you'll find me. And um, I accept direct messages. I accept connection requests. I'm happy to mentor people who have uh, questions and um, feel free to contact me through there. And also um, every LinkedIn message, uh, I think it's a setting I have put on my account, uh, gets sent to me by email as well. So if we are gonna be in a long conversation, I'll switch us to email by telling you how to reach me. Perfect. So anybody's looking out, um, they'll connect up with you on LinkedIn. We'll put that at the, in the show notes as well so they can uh, find where your LinkedIn is and uh, connect up with any, any, for anything that they, any advice they may need, any uh, mentorship they need, or if they want to get involved otherwise. Well, again, Laura, thank you for coming on. It's been fun to hear your journey. It's always an interesting journey, and uh, yours is by far no exception. And I, I look forward to uh, seeing your product out in the market and helping all those that are coming into the, the country and uh, looking for how they can uh, find the medications they need. Um, for those of you that uh, are new to the episode, you're always welcome to come on, uh, be a, a guest on the, the podcast. You can just go to uh, the Inventive Journey and you'll get some details as to how to apply to be a guest on the podcast. Or uh, for those that are needing uh, help with your patents, trademarks, or uh, copyrights, you're welcome to go to our website, which is Miller IPL. So Miller, I is an in intellectual, P is in property, L is in law.com. And we're here to help any business any way we can. So thank you again, Laura. It's been a pleasure to have or have you on and uh, hope to talk with you soon. Thank you very much.